Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, February 3rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Beijing is expected to pump extra cash into China's financial system today to shield the economy from the effects of the coronavirus. Democratic candidates are gearing up for the first election of the 2020 presidential primary race, and Germany fears being left behind by Silicon Valley and big tech. But first, Boris Johnson will lay out his vision for Britain's future relations with the EU today. BFT's Sebastian Payne outlines why the two sides are already butting heads when it comes to trade. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. This is Boris Johnson's first speech since the UK left the EU. And this is going to be one of those big visiony speeches about how the country is going to look on the other side of this agenda he's putting forward. But it's also going to be about the nitty gritty of the trade talks with the EU and the kind of strategy he's going to pursue, which is very different from the one the EU wants. And Seb, what exactly is each side aiming for? The approach Boris Johnson is going to set out in this speech is all about the UK making its own rules and regulations in that trade deal with the EU, which, of course, is still the UK's most important trading partner. But this goes against the approach of the bloc, which it is going to say when it announces its own plan for the trade talks on Monday, that it wants to keep the UK in regulatory alignment. There will need to be commitments to make sure the UK can undercut the EU on competition, state aid, and rules for goods production. So this is setting up for a clash between the two sides because they've got very different approaches. And the key thing to look out for from Boris Johnson is this talk of Australia. Those who followed Brexit will have heard about Norway, which is a very close relationship with the bloc, Canada, which is a much looser relationship with the bloc. And then this new idea of Australia, an Australian-style deal, is the kind of thing Boris Johnson is going to talk about. But trade experts say there's no such thing as an Australian-style deal because Australia doesn't have a proper trade deal with the EU. So cynics might say this is essentially rebadging a no-deal exit to make it sound friendlier. So there's going to be a lot of tension between the two sides here about how they're going to address this thorny topic. And as we know, there's not that much time. Negotiations are going to start in March and they're going to need to be wrapped up by October. There's going to be a deal before the end of this year. Trading on China's stock exchange is set to resume today after an extended closure due to the coronavirus. And Beijing is stepping in to relieve some of the financial effects of the outbreak. China's central bank said it would inject 1.2 trillion renminbi, or about 173 billion U.S. dollars, into money markets. It's part of a bigger emergency plan to shield the economy from the fallout of the virus. The People's Bank of China also plans to lower lending rates to support companies. Meanwhile, financial regulators have delayed introducing new rules in order to avoid further tightening market liquidity. Some economists in China predict the outbreak could trim more than a percentage point off economic growth in the first quarter. The first vote of the 2020 presidential primary kicks off today in the Midwest state of Iowa. And it comes at a particularly interesting moment in U.S. politics. Donald Trump is expected to be acquitted in his impeachment trial this week. Several of the senators who are jurors in the trial are vying for the chance to square off against Mr. Trump in the general election later this year. But this primary election will also decide the direction of the Democratic Party. Candidates from across the left side of the political spectrum are represented in this race. 
From progressive Democrats, including Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, to more moderate candidates, such as former Vice President Joe Biden and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. The FT's Washington correspondent, Lauren Fedor, caught up with Iowans ahead of today's vote to see who they would be backing. One of those voters is Abby Banks, a student at Iowa's Drake University. She's voting for Mr. Sanders after New Jersey Senator Cory Booker dropped out of the race. I backed Bernie in 2016, and I just think he's been a really consistently progressive candidate. I think Elizabeth Warren also is incredibly qualified, and she's, that's why she's my number two. Um, but I'm a big, big Bernie girl right now. Mr. Sanders leads going into today's vote, but it's still close. While many said they were loyal to a particular candidate, others told the FT they were more loyal to the party at this moment. Liz Webster is a retiree from Norwalk, Iowa, who is backing the more moderate Ms. Klobuchar. But she would be willing to swing to any Democrat, even if it's Bernie Sanders. I'll I'll, I'll vote for him. I'll vote for any Democrat, but I hope he's not the nominee. Because I want, I would, I would like to take the White House back, and I don't think we can do it with Bernie Sanders. This plays into the larger idea that those in the party will have to unite. They want to beat Donald Trump in November. And here's a story you should know more about. Last week, Apple hit a $1.42 trillion valuation, and in doing so, the iPhone maker became more valuable than the entire DAX index of Germany's 30 leading companies. A lot of these are household names, right? This is Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz parent Daimler, BASF, Bayer, Lufthansa. I mean, several of these are literally the world's largest company for what they do, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, car making, luxury cars, etc. That's the FT's Patrick McGee. He's our former Germany correspondent, and he's now writing for us in San Francisco. So what does Apple's milestone say about Germany's economy? Patrick took a look at this question. If you think of what Germany really excelled at in the 20th century, they're not typically the consumer-facing items. But what's at risk is that the whole 20th century way of doing things, which is called Industry 3.0, is before software began eating the world. And there's this whole new way of generating data and then building new products upon that. And instead of hardware engineering, mechanical engineering, it's software engineering. And Germany just doesn't excel in that and they don't excel in services. The whole model that Wall Street loves and that's shaking up the world is not a sort of one-time quality product. It's recurring revenue based on building a service out of that hardware. And that's really critical. And some German manufacturing executives get it, and some don't. And that's really going to shape the 21st century, or at least it seems like that in 2020. And even if a company like Apple isn't directly challenging them, what they have done to music, what they've done to movies, what they've done to newspapers, is probably telling for what's going to happen through all kinds of hardware expertise and niche manufacturing that you wouldn't think of as a direct competitor. And Patrick, what makes it so hard for Germany and German companies to adopt that business model? So if you think of all the U.S. companies that are really dominating the scene right now, whether that's, you know, Facebook, Google, or Netflix, most of these, if they were individuals, would be millennials, if not Generation Z. And if you look at the companies on the DAX, some of them go back 400 years, some of them go back 200 years. You know, Daimler invented the combustion engine 130 years ago. They don't think in the same way that startups think. They're thinking in terms of steady profits and dividends and hopefully 5 to 10% improvement per year. 
that's so different from the way U.S. startups think about this with blitzscaling. So the venture capital ecosystem that is supporting companies that have a promise, a long-term promise of profits, but not any short-term profits, is just a whole new way of thinking about things. And Germany has just been really slow to react. And it's worth knowing one reason they've been slow to react is their success. There's a real sense in which Germany is a victim of its own success. Their economy is still growing. They have among the lowest unemployment rates they've had since 1990, reunification. And I don't think they often understand just how much could change in the next few years because the crisis hasn't hit. And Patrick, how does Germany catch up? Is it even possible at this point? So the DAX is so varied that, you know, it depends, I think, if you were looking at pharmaceuticals or machine building or cars. What I know best is cars, because that's really what caught my imagination while I was in Germany. And so, you know, I think the answer that Herbert Diess, the CEO of Volkswagen, would give is that we need to electrify the fleet sort of way, way faster than anybody thinks is possible. And we need to accelerate our move into software. So in the last year, Volkswagen has created its own software unit. But what's significant is that new unit more or less has a double headquarters in the west coast of the United States and in China, right? They choose not to put it in Germany because they still, even with the investment, don't believe that enough talent is coming out of German universities to deal with that challenge. So you could still paint that as a success because it'll still go to the Wolfsburg headquarters in Germany, or you could paint that as a problem that even when they want to make these decisions, they realize that it needs to take place outside of Germany than within it. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.